zombie Christianity. And I'll let you know what that means in a little bit. I thought it's appropriate because it's October. Um, but also, this is actually something I've been working on for a while now. Um, and it's not quite all the way together. So I appreciate some grace tonight as I guinea pig you with this idea. Um, I'm going to start out with a story uh, about my freshman year in college. I went to St. Olaf College. Um, yeah, my freshman year was awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, I felt closer to God than I had ever felt in my entire life. God was using me more than I had ever experienced. I was experiencing ministry and I was serving him in cool ways. Um, I was doing kind of upfront ministry for the first time, but I was also doing other stuff. Like the Spirit of the Lord led me to do some weird servant things like in the middle of the night, go and clean the dorm kitchen that was always disgusting and nobody would clean. And I would go in the middle of the night and spend like two hours cleaning the kitchen when nobody was there so that nobody would see me. Um, and like he just made me do kind of weird stuff like that sometimes. And I thought it was really neat to be on this fun adventure with God. Um, so things were going awesome. Sometime in January, um, externally things continued to be awesome and great, but internally things started getting really hard. Um, I started feeling like I wasn't very good at living the Christian life. Like I couldn't conquer the things I wanted to conquer. I couldn't become better, be a better Christian, a better person. I felt like I was letting God down all the time. I felt like I was unworthy. I just wish I could be better. I'd see other Christians and other people, and I'd be like, they get it. Like they, they got it going on, and I don't. So I was just like, I suck. What is going on here? I felt worthless. I felt like a failure just in general in my Christian life. But there was also other things going on with me personally. Um, I've shared here before, some of you have heard it, but I have a genetic condition called hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia. There will not be a test on that. Um, it's, a, it's a mutation of part of my X chromosome. So I'm literally a mutant. Um, I am waiting for my magic powers to manifest so I can join the X-Men, but so far that has not happened yet. I'm hoping for flight and super strength, but um, <laughs> okay, I'll take that. I, I, that would be awesome. I would love to be a superhero. So I had that all my life, right, growing up. I ha always had that, um, but it never really got to me. I had sort of put up barriers emotionally against stuff. Um, some of the issues, the, the, the primary health concern is that I can't be around heat because I don't sweat. I don't have any sweat glands or sweat pores, so I get hot really fast, and then I can't cool myself off like I'm already hot up here and it's cold out. Um, and so that's kind of the big health concern because heat stroke is bad for you. Um, but there, there are a lot of other secondary things, like my hair was really thin, and so my whole life I looked like I was like an 80-year-old man because my hair was really, really thin. And I only have two teeth. I've had dentures since I was three. Um, and so it, yeah, and so... And there are a number of other issues as well. And the devil started picking away at stuff regarding my identity and self-esteem and who I was. And I really wanted to get married at some point in life. I was only 19 at this point, but I really wanted to get married at some point. And the devil would be like, well, good luck with that. I mean, you're, you're kind of a freak show. Like, I don't think anybody's going to love you. And I started to believe some of this stuff. Anybody ever believe some of the lies the devil tells them? I started believing some of these. 
And it really started to affect me to the point where I was kind of useless to myself or anybody else. Because I really believed all this stuff that the devil was telling me about who I was. Um, so I was crying out to the Lord, help me, I don't know what to do, life is terrible, right? I was getting depressed and God answered my prayer because God is the kindest person in the universe, right? And so he answered my prayer with a Bible verse. Open your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 2. Turn your Bible on, Galatians 2, Galatians 2.20. So I felt like a failure in my Christian walk, and I felt like a freak in life. I was pretty sure things weren't going to get better for me. I was pretty sure nobody was ever going to love me because I was unlovable, because I didn't love myself, right? And then God led me to this verse, Galatians 2.20, and it changed my life forever. I had read this verse dozens of times, but it never hit me. Have you ever experienced that? You're reading a Bible verse, you've read it before, and then it hits you. It's never hit you before. That's the Holy Spirit. That is a rhema word of God, in Greek, rhema. It's the word of God that God speaks to you right now into your situation. And he uses the Bible all the time to do that. He can do it directly as well, or through prophecy or other ways. But he directly speaks his word to you, and he says, this, this, right here, this is for you. Understand what it means. And he just does this thing to your brain and all of a sudden, you're like, ah, and you get it, and you've never gotten it before. And that's what happened to me with Galatians 2.20, which says, for I have been crucified with Christ. So I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And there's two parts of that, to that verse. We're going to look at the first one. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I had understood that since I was a kid. Yes, the old me is dead, and now I live for Christ. Yay. That's like Sunday school stuff. My Sunday school, anyway. Um, but it hit me for the first time. I'm dead. Like that old Nate, that Nate that can't measure up, that sinful Nate, that Nate that fails, that can't do as well as these other people, that Nate that has all these issues, that Nate with all these identity problems, that Nate that thinks he's unlovable, that Nate that has these physical problems, that Nate is dead. I am somebody else. I'm somebody new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old self has passed away. Behold, the new. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. In Greek, that literally means you are a different creature than you were before. There is a new species on the earth since Jesus, and it's called the Christian. It's like part human, part Holy Spirit. We are a new creation, a new creature. We are different than we, than we were before. The old Nate died on the cross with Jesus. I'm somebody different, somebody new. When God brought me into his family, he made a new person with my personality and who he created me to be, but without that other stuff. That new person, that's who I really am. That's my true identity. I was crucified with Christ. That's what baptism is about, right? In baptism, we go down under the water. We drown. We die. And then we come back. So we experience the death of Christ, his crucifixion. We experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ as we come back. And it's that resurrection power that's active in us and why we are a new creation. 
why we are a new creature. Thanks. Thought I was thought I was decent. So the power of the resurrection is at work in you all the time. Because you are a new creation. You're not your old self. You're not the sinful self. You're not the problem self. You're not the unlovable self or whatever the word is that you fill in the blank there. At night, when you're in bed, the devil comes and lets you know this is who you really are. This is what you're really like. This is why things aren't going to work out for you. This is why God's not going to draw close to you because of all these reasons. Don't tell me I'm alone that the devil does that. Okay? All that stuff is dead. It's your old self. It's gone. And when the reality of that hit me, it, it really just it changed my life forever. I finally understood that all those problems that I had, all that stuff I had going on, was the old Nate. And the old Nate's dead. So I don't have to be a dead guy. I don't need to spend all my time thinking about a dead guy's problems. I don't need to spend all my time thinking about what a dead guy did or would do if he were still alive. That would be dumb. Right? Why waste all your time on a dead guy? But that's what I was doing. I was living every minute thinking about dead Nate, old Nate, passed away Nate. But I was a new creation in Christ, and that's what God finally helped me to realize. started to being able to live in my true identity, to live in who I really was in Jesus. Thanks. So you need to learn how to live out of your true identity. The most important part of your true identity is the second half of that verse, Galatians 2.20, the second half. So the first half is, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Okay, understanding that the old you is dead, now you're in Christ. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and who gave himself for me. He loves me. That is the first part of who I am. That is the beginning of my identity. That is the foundation of my being and yours. You are a new creature when God adopted you into his family through the death and resurrection of his son. Now that resurrection power is alive in you, you are a new creation. And the most important thing about you is that Jesus loves you. That's why he did what he did. Romans 5.8, Jesus shows his great love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still that old self, that dead, stupid, disgusting self, he died for us then. He didn't say, I know he's going to be cool someday, so I'll die for him. No, no, no. He looked at us in the crap, in the pig pen, like in the prodigal son. He saw us in the pig pen and loved us and died for us there. God loves you. Jesus loves you so much he was willing to give himself for you. And that is the core of who you are. There's a lot of other things about who you are as well. Grab your hand out. This is just a one-pager. I actually have a seven-page version, which I could put on the website, on the Communitas website if anybody wants it. I could do that too. So here's a list of things that you are. If you are in Christ, you are all these things, according to Scripture. I am a child of God. I am redeemed from the hand of the enemy. In other words, if I'm redeemed from the hand of the enemy, that means I'm not in bondage anymore. I'm not a slave. I'm not incapable of escaping this crap that the devil has me in. I am not that person anymore. I am redeemed from the enemy. That's who I am. That's my identity. This is your identity, each and every one of these things. This is who you really are. This is who God has created you to be now. And that other stuff is gone. That other stuff is dead. The reason, well, you can set this aside for now. We'll look at it again in a little bit. The reason it's so hard to live the Christian life, as Paul Anderson says, is because it's impossible. 
You can't live the good Christian life, right? But through the Holy Spirit, you can do all things. You can ask God, God, help me to believe these things, because maybe you don't. If you spent long enough believing a lie, it's hard to believe the truth. You read verses that says, I am healed by his stripes. I am more than a conqueror. If you felt conquered all your life, if you felt like a victim all your life, it's hard to see a verse that says we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus and believe it. So we need to ask the Spirit of God, help us to believe what your word says about me. Help us to believe what our identity is and then help us to start walking it out. Help us to start acting like we're this person instead of the dead person. So we can ask the Holy Spirit to do that and guess what? He'll do it because he loves to do that because he's awesome. Remember, he's the kindest person in the world. So the problem is, Although our old self is dead, crucified with Christ, dead in our baptism, whatever you want to say about it, although our old person is dead, it's still around. It's still here. It lingers, slinking after us all the time. What do you call something that walks around that's already dead? Zombie. Our old self is like our zombie, and it's not going anywhere. It's here. It's with us all the time, our old self, trying to get us to believe that that's still who we are, and that we're not someone new in Jesus Christ. And so that zombie follows us around, and it tries to destroy us, to distract us from God is doing, and to derail us from believing that we are this new creation. Instead, that zombie tries to get us to believe that that's how we are. Did you find an image, by the way? I know it's gross, but look at it. That's our dead self. It's dead, but it's not gone. It's still around. It's still following us around, trying to destroy us, trying to kill us, distract us. Think about how grotesque that is, how disgusting that is. That's our old self. That's how we used to be. It's still around. It's following us around, okay? It's a zombie. But guess what? It's dead. That's not us anymore. It's dead. It's gone. We are not that anymore. But the devil tries to convince us that that's who we still are. And if we start believing that, eventually we're going to start acting like it. That is not who you are. You are dead. You can take the image off or people will be distracted. Thank you, CJ. That's not who you are anymore. That guy's dead. He's still around. Or that girl. Still around, though. Slinking after me all the time. Trying to do what zombies do. Which is what? Eat our brains. Yeah, destroy us, okay? Uh, while we're in this life, our zombie will always be our cold companion. I like that line, um, so I wrote it down. Um, in this life. Fortunately, when we die and go to heaven, our zombie can't come. Heaven has a strict no zombies policy, right? Amen? See, that is the, the kingdom is already here, but the kingdom is yet to come. Jesus says both things. And this is where we live. We live in that balance. We are no longer that but it's still around, tempting us. We are something new. And when we get to heaven, that's all we'll be. We won't be the old thing anymore. We won't look at it. It won't be following us around, trying to nip at our heels all the time. It'll be gone. Heaven's got a no zombies policy, one of my favorite things about heaven. Yet while we're here, our zombie is going to be following us around all the time. Okay? Don't let this scare you. You've been experiencing this since you became a Christian. You maybe just didn't look at it that way. Um, so how do you defeat your zombie? How, how, do you, how do you defeat a zombie? Anybody? Kill it. Shoot, shoot the brain. 
You destroy its brain, right? That's how you kill a zombie? Okay, you destroy its brain. So the battle is in your mind. There's still a connection between your mind and the zombie brain. And those thoughts are still in there sometimes. And we've got to get rid of them. We've got to get rid of that stupid zombie brain. The devil tries to use your past to defeat you. He tries to remind you of who you used to be. And he tries to make you believe you're still that. You're still that unlovable thing. You're still that filthy sinner. You can't approach God. Look how gross you are. You know what you did last week. You know what you did. You really think God's going to accept you if you come running up to his throne? Really? That's the zombie talking. That's the devil trying to get us to believe that we're still that old self. But that old self is dead. Amen? That's not us anymore. You're not your zombie. Don't feed it. Don't feed your zombie. I'm someday going to have that on a t-shirt. Don't feed your zombie. Don't feed your zombie. Every time you believe one of those lies, you're feeding that thing. Okay? Uh, Paul says, if you sow into the spirit, you reap life. And if you sow into the flesh, you reap corruption. If you feed that zombie, it corrupts you. Because you reap what you sow. Every lie that you believe, you start to think more and more like that zombie and act more and more like that zombie. And eventually you feel like that zombie. That's what happened to me my freshman year. I had been believing the lies that the zombie was telling me. I had believed that that's who I am. I'm not going to get past this. I, I am this other thing, this gross thing, whatever. He was attacking my identity, who I really was in Jesus. I believed so many of the lies that I forgot who I was. Forgot who I really was. I forgot that I was a beloved child of God, that I was holy and blameless and loved. I was righteous in Jesus Christ. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I started to forget those things, and I started to act like a zombie. I started to feel like one. I was in this weird, dark cloud of life. I just got up every day, and I did stuff, and went to bed, and whatever. I really started to feel like that zombie, because I kept feeding it. I kept feeding it. It got stronger, and pretty soon, that zombie was running the show. But he's dead. We don't have to let him run the show. He doesn't, he's not the boss of you. He's just the zombie of you, which is nothing. So don't feed your zombies. Don't feed your zombies. Don't let that attack your identity. Don't let anything the devil tries to do come against who God has made you to be and who he says you really are. Um, every time a zombie comes at you to eat your brains, you have to fight back. You can't ignore a zombie. Right? You can't ignore a zombie. Oh, that's not really there. I'm protected in Jesus. I'm just going to stand here and protect. Ouch! If you ignore a zombie, he will eat you. That's what they do, okay? There's this weird thing in Christianity that says, just ignore the devil, pretend it's not there, pretend none of this stuff is there. That's weird and not biblical at all. The Bible says, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. That's what the Bible says. Them's fighting words, okay? When our zombie attacks us, tries to eat our brains, we have to fight it back. You can't ignore it, it'll eat you. Okay, and the battle's up here. So you stab your zombie in the brain, you destroy its attack. The battle's up here. It's not believing the lie, it's believing the truth, confessing the truth. So, defeating a zombie 101. Open up to James. Book of James talks about zombie Christianity. When I do the 
Johnstone Standard Version. It'll mention it specifically by name. But. James 4. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is, this not, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you quarrel. Um, he's talking to zombie Christians. He's talking to Christians who have forgotten who they are in Christ, have started believing the lies of the devil, that they're not going to escape their old stuff, that that's who they are, and they're acting like it. They're acting like zombies. And James says, hey, what is the deal? Like, that's not who you are. And then we get to James, 7, or James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is how you beat your zombie. Okay? Remember, he's always going to be around. He's going to keep coming at you, keep trying you to believe, get you to believe the lies about yourself, keep you from the truth. This is how you defeat him. Two things. One, submit yourselves to God. Two, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So resist, uh, submit yourselves to God. That sounds like humility, right? Submit yourselves to God. That's the first thing. First thing is to, when you, you realize that you're starting to believe a lie, or at least you're tempted to believe a lie. So what do you do? You submit to God. You humble yourself. You put yourself at the Lord's feet, and you say, Jesus, I need you to be something for me right now. And that something is the area that you're being attacked in. So if you're being attacked in your self-worth, you need to say, Jesus, I need you to help me to feel loved and accepted right now. That's what I need you to be for me right now. You humble yourself before the Lord and you ask Jesus to be that which you need right now. Does that make sense? So first, you humble yourself. Submit yourselves to God. Second, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, resist does not mean ignore. Right? Resist the devil. It doesn't say ignore. It says re resist the devil. How do we resist the devil? You fight him. The word in Greek for resist says to stand against in battle. That's what the word resist actually means. To stand against in battle. So first you submit yourselves to the Lord. Then you fight that sucker. You attack it. You resist the devil. You don't wait and defend, defend, defend. No, you go on the offense and you attack. What do you think, buddy? Cool, huh? I'm not going to let you touch it right now, but maybe later. Cool, huh? So this is a physical sword and a, and a cool one. This is my sword. I have several swords because that's the kind of person I am. And this is actually my ordination sword. When I was ordained as a minister, I knelt before Paul Anderson and he knighted me like this. That's a true story with this sword. I wanted him to. I wanted him to, and he's like, all right. Because uh, he, too, is kind and long-suffering. And it worked. I was ordained. It's awesome. So, yes, I'm Herr Pastor, sir. Um, so, we submit ourselves to God. We humble ourselves, and then we resist the devil. We fight him. You don't ignore that zombie. You fight it. When it's coming at you, when it's tempting you, when it's attacking you, you stab it in the face. You attack it. You don't feed your zombie. You don't ignore it. You stab it in the face. It's the only way to beat it. And this is a physical sword, but our battle is not with flesh and blood. This is spiritual stuff, right? It's mental stuff. So we use the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit is what? The word of God. And again, that word is rhema. 
rhema, the now word of God. The way we fight the devil is by the word that God speaks to us right now. And that word that God speaks to you gives you authority over the devil, and you fight that thing. You stab that zombie in the face and kill it. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Now, one of the primary ways that God speaks, as we talked about a while back, is through the Bible, right? One of the primary ways that God speaks. And so when I am fighting zombies, I grab my sword, and I start pulling out verses, and I start telling these verses to my zombie. I honestly do this. I say these verses out loud. I find a quiet place, and I say them out loud. Grab that sheet again. Okay? I usually start out with Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified in Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. You are dead. You are not the boss of me. You're just a stupid, ugly, falling apart zombie. You're nothing. You have no power. I am over you in Christ. Amen? So I tell him that. I'm telling myself that. He knows or doesn't care or whatever. Because um, he's not real. This is a metaphor. Um, <laughs> don't... Please don't be like, he thinks there are real zombies and they're invisible and they follow you around. No, it's a metaphor, but it really helps me because I think this is really true. Okay? So I say these verses to them. And where is the devil attacking me? Is the devil attacking me in my destiny and what God is calling me to do, what I know God is calling me to do? Then I shout back to him verses that refer to that destiny. If God has given me a prophetic word about my destiny, I say, this is what God said. Bam, right to the face. You resist the devil. Now, sometimes, especially if you're used to taking this stuff on, if you're used to feeding your zombie, if you're used to listening to these lies, sometimes you might have to fight for a little bit to finally get one through the defenses and into his brain. Okay? You might have to meditate on these verses. You have to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, help me to believe what your word says. Help me to believe it, like really believe it for real, that that is who I am, that what your word says about who I am as Christ is really true. Help me to believe it. Help me to live it. Meditate on those verses. Keep this thing. Put it on your fridge or in your Bible or next to your bedstand or whatever. Wherever the devil starts attacking you, whip this out. Start saying this stuff back to him. I am this. I am loved. I am a child of God. I am more than a conqueror. You got nothing on me, stupid zombie. Because you're dead. You're dead. You have no power. That's what I do. I attack my zombie. I literally say the stuff out loud. I resist the devil. And guess what he does? He flees. What do you know? The Bible's true. I resist the devil and he flees. I take out my sword of the spirit. I shove it in its face until I beat it, and then it's gone. Now, does it come back eventually? Sure. Our zombie will always be here until we get to heaven. But if you keep beating it back and beating it back and beating it back, eventually the, the attacks get more infrequent. They're also not as scary. The zombie comes up and says, hey, you're not really loved by God, and you're like, whatever idiot. I am too. So this isn't a scary thing, okay? But it's real. We can't pretend it's not real. We can't pretend the devil isn't constantly trying to attack our identity. That he isn't constantly trying to derail us from understanding who we really are. This is huge. Like your identity, your core identity of who you understand yourself to be, like Jacob talked about last week incredibly important. It's absolutely vital to your life. Who are you? Are you a filthy sinner barely making it by? Are you a loser? Are you ugly? 
Are you fat? Are you dumb? Have you been a victim? Because you were abused and now nothing's going to happen for you. Good. What are the things that the devil tries to get you with? We all have them, right? There are some that we all hold in general because we've all been sinners, right? But there are others that you specifically have that the devil tries to get you with every time. That is not who you are. Jesus in Christ, that's not who you are. You're this other thing. You're never going to get any better. You have to fight against that. Because once you understand who you really are, who Christ has made you to be, and it was a big sacrifice, by the way, to get you in Christ. He had to, like, be tortured and killed. It was kind of a big deal for him. But it was worth it. He loves you and gave himself for you. That's what Jesus did for us. This hits the very center of who you are. And if you don't get it, if you don't start to realize that that old self with all those struggles is dead. That girl is dead. That guy is dead. I now live in Christ. That is who I really am. And every time he comes after you, you just hit him with a sword. Not that tough. You pull out one of those Bible verses. You pull out a word that someone gave you or something that God spoke into your heart. And you said, this is who I am. This is true about me. Not what you said. The more we do that, the more we stop feeding our zombie, the more we beat that thing back, it is like night and day between defeat and victory in your life. You will start, it's like uh, clouds, like dark, dark storm clouds. Have you ever been in an airplane when there's a thunderstorm? It's dark, it's scary, and all of a sudden you rise above and it's this gorgeous sunny day. Has anyone experienced that? I saw it once and I wished I had a video camera just to, I made a mental video of it. It's incredible. That's what this is like. When you come out of that zombie state, out of living in that lie of who you used to be, realize that that is dead and you are something new, it is like a whole new world, a whole new life, because it is a whole new life. You are a new creation. You're something new, something different, and by the way, better than you used to be before. You still have your personality, the core of who you are and who God made you to be, but all that stuff is dead. It's gone. Nathan, did you have a question? Mm-hmm. Um, this works, but I would not suggest it because um, because murder is part of your old self and your old nature, so don't do that. Um, what did Jesus do? When Peter started saying something other than what Jesus truly was, what did Jesus do? Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, you want to use judgment on whether or not you say that to an actual person. Probably not, because you want to think about their well-being. Jesus knew Peter could handle that, and he was going to disciple Peter through the process. So I'm not suggesting you go to your friend who's saying, or your boss, and say, get thee behind me, Satan. He'd be like, okay, freak. Um, but, what, but that's still the devil. Even if it is through the mouth of another person, whether it's through the mouth of another person or your zombie or whatever it is that's lying to you, the reaction is the same. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So you humble yourself before the Lord. You ask Jesus to help you. You ask Jesus to be the opposite of whatever they said. If they said you're worthless, Jesus, show me my worth. 
Show me that I was worth so much that you left the perfection of heaven for all time to become a screaming, pooping baby in a barn next to a sheep's butt. The perfection of heaven, sheep's butt. That is the biggest juxtaposition in the history of the universe. God humbled himself so much that he was willing to undergo the worst. And he came as a poor person, a really poor person, an oppressed minority people group. He was willing to do all of that for you. And by the way, as far as we know from Scripture, he's still got his human body, his resurrected human body, which means he's not going back to what he was before. It was a forever sacrifice. And once we're in heaven and we see what God is like, we will start to understand what an incredible sacrifice that really was. Um, it was absolutely incredible. So resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Submit yourself to God. Tell Jesus, I need you to be this in this area and then resist him in your mind. And ask him to help you to defend against these darts, as Paul calls them, of the enemy who come at you and try to get you to believe these lies. And then, in my opinion, if this is someone who loves you, you can say to them, you know, I love you. I know you love me. But when you say that to me, this is how it makes me feel. That's a hard conversation to have. I've done it before. One of my best friends in high school, or my, my best friends in my first year of college, that freshman year story I was telling you about, he used to joke about me being bald all the time because I looked like 80-year-old man hair, right? And I just took every blow. I ignored it. I took every blow. And that wears on you over time when it's your best friend who's supposed to be building you up and he's tearing you down. He didn't know it. He sh should have. It's kind of mean. But like... He's just dumb. He's a, he's a guy. He doesn't think about emotion, right? Um, so he was doing this to me all the time, and eventually I had to be like, I need you to stop doing this, okay? This is a real struggle for me. This is a big deal to me. And I know you think I've got it all worked out so it's okay to make fun of me. It's not. I don't have it worked out yet. Quit it. And he bawled for like 20 minutes because he did not mean to hurt me. He loved me. He didn't understand what he was doing. The devil knew what he was making him do, little puppet strings, right? But he had no idea. And so had I not say, said anything, either he would have kept doing it or I would have eventually blown up and yelled at him or moved out of our room or punched him or, you know. found one of these might-destroying swords and attacked him. So pray about the timing of it. But I think there's a point at which you confront that, per that person. By confront, I mean talk to <laughs> in a spirit of humility and say, I love you. I know you love me. I, don't, I know you don't mean this this way, but when you say this, it hurts. Can you please not do that? And if they love you, they might react defensively at first. Whatever, just, you know, get some thicker skin, or as my, as my grandpa used to say, you know, stuff like that. My grandpa was a full-blooded Norwegian man. Man of few words and tough skin and no emotion. Okay? And he didn't think anyone else should have emotion either. <laughs> the Vikings tried to breed that out of their clan. Um, so I, that's what I would do. And I would confront them and I would talk to them and be like, here, here's the deal. If, even if they react defensively at first, just keep praying. God's going to work on their heart and they'll probably come around. But if they don't, they're not the boss of you either. Just like your zombie. They can't tell you how to feel. You choose how you feel. You choose how you're going to react. 
You're, the world doesn't make you stressed. You choose to be stressed. You choose to be afraid. You choose to fear. You choose to get angry. You don't have to choose those things. You can say no. So whether it's your zombie or whether it's another person, you can say no in humility to God because you can't do it on your own. Any other questions? This is a big deal, especially for folks our age. I would guess that most of us are still in the process of finding our identity or understanding in or living in fully our identity in Christ. Okay? This isn't me talking down at y'all. Okay? I think just about everybody here is in this place where we need to fully grasp who we are and start to live in it and not to feed that zombie anymore. All right. I want you to break up into groups of three, four if you have to, but three would be better. Why don't you do that? Go ahead. Ready to go. Groups of like two, three, three or four? Three or four? Three people, four at the most. I got a couple questions for you that I'd like you to discuss in groups. All right, say hi. Give your names if they don't know you or you don't know them. Hey. Hi, Addison. Uh, here's the first question. Hey, man. Okay, first thing. Everybody listening? Stop fellowshipping. This is still my time. Um, <laughs> sorry, Jesus. Um, so the first one, name, go around the room, like not the room, go around the little tiny group of three or four. And each take turns doing this. Name one or two specific ways that your zombie tries to attack you. One or two specific ways that your zombie tries to attack you. In other words, what lies does the devil try to get you to believe? And this is a safe place. So if you don't feel led to go to your deepest, most vulnerable place, that's okay. You can share one of the lighter ones. But this is a safe place, so you could be vulnerable. And in my experience, the more vulnerable we are, the more God heals us. Confess your issues to one another. Okay? Bear one another's burdens and all that. So take turns. Name one or two specific ways your zombie tries to attack you. What lies does the devil try to get you to believe? Ready, go. And as I'm sure you can guess, the next part is to let's deal with the stuff we just talked about. Okay? Let's deal with that stuff that we just talked about. So let's go around the little group again and do what it says in James. Submit yourselves to the Lord, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And so take turns going around your group. Submit to God. Ask Jesus to be what you need in this situation. And then think about what is the opposite of that lie? What is that lie trying to destroy in me? What is that lie trying to defeat in me? That zombie that's coming at me. What is the truth in Scripture that combats that lie? Does that make sense? Thank you.
Yes. <laughs> Even youths grow tired and faint, but he who waits upon the Lord will renew their strength. So go around your little group again. Uh, you can do it in the same order you did it before. Reverse order doesn't matter. Say, all right, I just talked about some stuff, some ways the zombie tries to get me, some ways the devil tries to lie at me. What are the truths of Scripture, truths about yourself or truths about God? Depending on what the lie was, the truth might be something about yourself because if the lie was about you, what's the truth about you? Or if the lie was about God, like God doesn't really love me anymore, God's not kind, God's not good, if that's the lie, then what's the truth about God that confronts that? And I want you to confess that. Maybe there's one of the verses on your sheet, or maybe you can ask a group to help. And then after you've said, ask Jesus to help you, and said, this is the opposite of that. This is the sword, okay? What's the sword of the spirit that you need to use to stab that thing in the face that you just shared? Confess that with your mouth, and then the others, the other two or three, pray for that person. Okay? Does that make sense? Everybody got it? So figure out your sword, use it, and then the other two can pray and take turns around, Robin. We got time, so don't worry. The benediction with the sword. And the God of all peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are free to go if you want. Otherwise, please continue to pray for each other. There is food upstairs. You can hang out all night long fellowshipping. Um, if you would like to receive personal prayer for something specific, like what we talked about tonight or whatever, um, feel free to come up and get prayer. All right. Uh, invite some friends and enemies for next week. At least one enemy. <laughs>